Welcome to Episode 3 of Tales from the Subterranean Playground, brought to you by Immersify Recording Services, LLC. I'm your host, Mark Allen J. This show focuses on my conversation with Ken Kazora in order to discuss music in general, certainly, his background, of course, but most importantly, to talk about the program Horns for the Holidays. Horns for the Holidays was set up as a means by which underprivileged kids would be able to receive a free musical instrument to keep. In my conversation with Ken, you'll hear about how that idea came to him in the first place and what's happened as a consequence since taking on that work. As an aside, if you have an instrument that isn't being used, please consider donating it. You can do this quite easily by stopping in to Oz Music on Packard Road in Ann Arbor and simply leaving the instrument with one of the staff members. I happen to think it's a noble effort, and I wanted to share the story with you, the listeners, today. Let's go. So you and I have known each other for about 10 years. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, sounds about I lose track of time, but right. yeah, yeah. So we met actually through a mutual friend. Jesse. Jesse. Yeah. And we were recording a tune of his in the church in Ipsy. And Beautiful you played coronet in that cornet session and, and flute. flute. I think so, yeah. And uh, maybe some gong or something. I don't remember the rest. But, I think yeah. there was a gong. <laughs> or maybe that was John. John know. definitely was on. John Churchill was on tabla. And Jesse was on Yeah, I, was, I think I was playing like a muted trumpet and a, a bamboo yes. flute. And yeah. I might have had some, yeah, various percussion. Yeah, percuss- and then Ken and I also in a very strange <laughs> set of coincidence <laughs> and circumstance going back to 1979. I graduated high school in 79. That's when I graduated okay. as well, yeah. So at that time, I was attending Lansing Community College, and as it happens, you were attending Lansing Community yeah, College. Yeah, I was from Detroit area, but I, I learned about a, a, a solar architecture program that they had up there, the only one in the whole country. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, you know, hadn't had plans to go to college, but ended up going there and, and then ended up being involved in the music program as right. well. And that's where we we did something together, but didn't know we were doing it together. Yeah, and I think one of the classes was uh, in multi-track recording. I can't think of the name of it now, but when I went to that studio, I went with my class and my involvement there was I got to be part of a clap track on a song, and that was great. I loved yeah, it, and I got yeah. to see the inner workings <laughs> of a studio. And it was unusual because they had a grain silo that they used for their reverb chamber. Yeah, I remember that. And you, what <laughs> yeah. happened when so, you... Yeah, yeah so, so uh, I, I, guess, I guess you could say I was doing a dual major, if you can call it that, solar architecture, and then uh, decided that music was really you know closer to my heart and maybe to my brain than architecture, uh-huh. the math and all that. And anyways, had enrolled in uh, a class which was uh, uh, a, a compositional class and then we would go to the to a studio uh-huh. and record it. And I found myself at the studio that you're talking about and we, in the middle of the recording session, uh, a raccoon 
got into the silo, which was was the, was the reverb changer chamber, and uh, it held up our recording session. So, so somebody had to, you know, I think we had, I think we had to call it off that right. day and come Someone... back the next day or something. But it, it's quite likely that maybe we were on the same session. I don't know. It's possible. Would, I'll find the tape someday and, uh, yes. and look look up the date and the song, and you know, maybe that's. Uh... Anyways, it was Roger Clark who was uh, the instructor of the class of the of the music class, the music composition class. And uh, he was a local kind of hero, local Lansing saxophone guy. Uh, that's that's what I remember about it. I think yeah. I played flugelhorn and flute, maybe a little bit of anemic flute, but the, the uh, reverb chamber really helped. So uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about how you initially found your way to, to brass. Basically, I was... Uh, uh, you know, I, I was in fifth grade band, so uh, my my mom was a musician singer. She was a great singer, uh, uh, sang with with the with the RCA orchestra in Detroit and stuff like that. Oh, I did not uh, know that. Yeah, she wasn't uh, she wasn't uh, you know she's semi professional, I guess you could call. She was a mom back in the day. That you know that's what you had to do. And she had six kids, so wow. <laughs> she she was busy, but uh, uh, so that was a great influence and. Uh, uh, so my family always supported, you know, the music or whatever the the pursuit of that with all of all of all of my siblings. But I enrolled in fifth band, and what led me to brass was I remember, you know, they come around with the instruments, and I saw this shiny gold thing, and I was like, oh, and so started playing the horn. And uh, someone had don I didn't have money. Someone had donated a horn to the mm-hmm. school, and I was able to use that. That'll come in into the picture later Indeed. in our conversation but uh so went all through you know did the typical school band thing i was i was i was uh, uh i was blessed to be in a, a great school system that had a great program and the director uh we had uh, uh separate groups so you know we had like five different groups so we're already as as young kids playing in five different groups and going and doing gigs places. My first gig at 12 years old was at the Rooster In fifth grade, you're doing Yeah, this. yeah, just, I don't know, you know, junior, you know, early years. Uh, so we would have jazz band and orchestra and all that. And then he also had a group, 10, 14 of us, called the Earthlings. And we would go to old folks' homes and play, you know, for the, for the seniors. And then uh, at, at that time in history... Uh, what we call now special needs uh, kids mm-hmm. were in homes, like an old folks home. Okay. And so we would go to those places and play. And so uh, that was a very early exposure to to using music as a vehicle to bring joy, you know, to people. And uh, I think I didn't under I didn't understand any of that at the time, you know. But when we would go and we'd start to play. Uh, they would all dance like crazy and they'd all be coming up and hugging us and you know so we got used to it so it was a real uh real beautiful thing and then we would we would we, we would do a lot of different gigs with that group and it wasn't till gosh it wasn't till 10 years ago or something it dawned on me what i thought of about 10 years ago i was like no he's talking about you know humans mm-hmm. <laughs> and then i started to appreciate the influence that that had on me, you know, uh, at a, at an early age, I, I always had respect for that for that. And that's my junior high band director, right? And I had a great director in high school too. Uh, but uh, but that junior high band director would 
do a lot. We'd play all the parades, you know, and we'd get on a float. And so he just, he really got us out there. Uh, he was a person that used music to, to bring, bring good to the world. There's so much good in music as a, as a, a communications bridge. And it does touch people. It does move people. It does affect people. And you mentioned assisted living and also special needs. I had a similar experience when I was in grade school that once a week, um, I think four of us would go to a convalescent home, uh, actually in Okemos, I should say. And I really enjoyed that. At the time, I thought, well, this is great because I get to get out of school. Right, right, right. right. But I did enjoy it because you, when you would go in and just chat with them, it really brightened their day. It was it was that whole idea about, you know, you're you're sharing your own humanity with another person, which I think is it's such a positive thing. And it teaches you uh, empathy. It I does think, teach you, know, you empathy. empathy and and humility too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And and I think the music is the next uh, logical step in that because you're you're using something that reaches uh, people in different ways and on different levels. And for some reason, you know, someone somewhere hears a song and it makes them feel very good, even if only for a few minutes. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, you're, you're bringing up these memories of a way long time ago. The other thing is that I didn't think about this till just a few years ago either. But really, every... Every kid that goes into the school band program, we mm-hmm. might think of it as sometimes we might think of it as old and stodgy or something. I don't right. know, maybe not. But but really, I'm I'm I teach trumpet and I'm looking. Uh, it occurred to me a few years ago that same old book that we've been using for fifty years to teach the trumpet out of. It has music represent every culture in the world is practically represented. You know, there's African, there's spirituals, there's because these are just tunes that we that we all know as right. these tunes, right? That we learn on our little trumpets in fifth and sixth grade. But yet I'm looking at it and it's like, this is a global, you know, exposure. Mm-hmm. And I try to use, now that I recognize that, I say, okay, what can we, you know, where can we, how can we learn about that culture? Or, you know, give them a little, go home and Google, you know, yeah. that and, and that sort of thing. So we try to send them home with something a little bit deeper that I didn't necessarily understand or appreciate mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. time but yeah the power of music to to reach people is is you know the the, the beautiful thing now is uh, uh, we have much more interest and knowledge and research and legitimization if you will because of all that uh, around what musicians have been doing and trying to say that musicians understand, uh, but maybe haven't put into the kind of terminology and the statistics that bring it the status that it would have if it was an economic flow chart or, you know. The truth is, right, everyone has their their strengths and weaknesses. Like, And, and for me, uh, I am um, a mediocre, not even mediocre, sub-mediocre guitar player. I haven't played in years. But if my mother wasn't singing something, something was on the hi-fi. They had one of those giant Magnavox yeah. consoles, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd hear Sinatra uh, at the Sands. I'd hear 
Count Basie records. I'd hear, so I would, I had this constant barrage of, I wouldn't say tremendously diverse music, but relatively diverse. And I like to think that because of my exposure to it at, a, at an early age, had to yeah. have been a good thing oh, yeah. in terms of my yeah. development and awareness of the same. And, you know, I was, I was talking earlier about, uh, I, I was sort of referring to all the studies about how music is good for you and it makes you smart. And, you know, to me, that's all great. That mm. legitimizes it to the, to the economists and the educational right. institutions that need to quantify all right. that. To me, the, the validity and the value of the joy that we get from music, regardless of how we engage, whether we're playing at any kind of level or whether we're listening or tapping our toe or singing on a tune in the shower, the value of the joy of music is, you know, that's its value and that's <laughs> validity enough for me. And, uh, you know, I was, I was teaching a senior music appreciation class I would go around and ask each person, you know, what's your, you know, what's your history with you? You know, these are folks in their 70s and 80s and, you know, you know, tell me about your music. You know, yeah. the first day is just to tell me about yourself and your mm -hmm. relationship to music. Did you play in school? You know, get to the very last lady. And uh, and she said, oh, well, no. I, you know, I said, you never played music? You never she said, had to squeeze it out of her. She, well, she sang in, uh, you know, fifth grade choir for, you know, two months or something. I says, why did you, why did you stop? She said, the teacher told her she couldn't sing. Ouch. Here, this lady is like 80 and she still has a, a piece of her heart, a important piece of her heart. She still remembers that event. From, from what some yeah. teacher yeah. said. Eight, you know, 70 years before. And to me, you know, that speaks volumes about uh, how do we share that joy in music? How do we engage people? And how uptight we are and how mm -hmm. judgmental, you know, how judgmental about good and bad. We were talking about that we were. earlier before we were yes. doing the interview, but how judgmental we can all be. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, the slightest little thing someone might say to you in fifth grade can separate you from a part of, a big part of your soul and a big part of your, your humanity. Indeed. I don't know if you're familiar with Oliver Sacks at all. Oh, yes. Okay, so yeah, musicophilia. Yes. You, yeah, yeah. So, you know, everybody, you know, it's, it's part of our DNA. It is. And what's happened is we've separated those, you know, we, we've separated ourselves from that. Uh, hmm. And we've allowed to be separated by by those that pass pass judgment, and uh, so I think there's a long way to go. I think we're on the right track. Mm -hmm. You know, there's more and more understanding of uh, music is part of all of our humanity, part of our deep part of our synapses, part of our brain, and so the stuff uh, he talks about. In his book, you know, just the early development or, or, or not, uh, uh, based on culture and language and, and, and that sort of thing, uh, there's so much that we know, but there's so, so much, much more that, right. we're ignorant of. So, 
So the same, same value judgments, quantification, and, and validity issues come into play mm-hmm. in, you know, in, in all of our thinking. I was talking earlier about the senior, you know, senior, because yes. we, we, the older we get, sometimes we get very close-minded, sure. right? And uh, so I, I had a little simple exercise that I would do with, with all the seniors. I do it with all my students, and I would say, okay, this week, go home and put on something that you don't like. It's easy. Mm. <laughs> Go through the radio station and land on a station that you would normally move away from as quickly uh-huh. as possible and listen to that and find one thing that pops out at you. It doesn't have to be one thing that you like. <laughs> So find one thing that pops out at you and sort of check that out and then come back and tell everybody. It's about great it. because <laughs> what what that does is it forces someone to become an active listener as opposed mm-hmm. to a passive listener. You and they have to be open to Right. They have to be open-minded to listen, you know, it's to teach open-mindedness. And 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 Hopefully, I also say something. Find something that you like. To, you know, find something that well, you like. Well, that's always a nice you know, thing. Find yeah. something that you like because there's always something. When you talk about bringing uh, music to kids in particular, you are absolutely opening up new paths, and that's why I think this whole the horns for the holidays kind of concept. I think that's great, and I'd really like to have you kind of. First of all, give some backstory on that. Sure, what sure. really got you motivated, and then some of the mechanics of how this all works. Okay, yeah, happy to talk about that. It's uh, it's a project that I'm very proud of, and is very close to my to my heart, and also close to many different aspects of my passions and beliefs i guess more so than i even than i even thought of when i started it but so uh i i spoke earlier i'd been working at alley music back mm-hmm. in the day and uh people would come in every day and bring in uh old clarinets and stuff like we didn't even sell any clarinets by then or whatever but they'd be like oh, we can give you 25 bucks we don't know what it's gonna need and they'd walk home and they'd stick it in the closet and trumpets and right and so uh, I'd, when I worked at Nally's, I'd, I'd gone through a, a bunch of different trajectories. I was manager of the Main Street Piano Store for a while, and then I, was, then I managed the, the keyboard department. And then I started a division to uh, get uh, electronic instruments into the hands of educators, K through 12 and, and college, and did a whole thing there, which is a whole other discussion. But it was a, it was a, it was a uh, mission mm-hmm. <laughs> to get to get technology that was used in the professional field into into the classroom where it still isn't for most K through 12. We're still playing clarinets. That's all beautiful stuff. Mm-hmm. But anyways, so uh, uh, when I had left there at the time, every three months they were coming out with a different box, a different synthesizer module, all that. and all of it was going in the landfill after six months, and it still does. And... Uh, and so I knew there was all these old instruments out there. I'd had a background in, in solar architecture, energy conservation. Right. So I, 
I guess I consider myself an environmentalist since I was a kid uh, uh, delivering newspapers, reading about all the environment, you know, the hippies, uh, you know, and Mother Earth and all that deep in my DNA. And so uh, I thought, I know there's all these instruments out there and uh, they're just sitting in closets and they Hmm. need to be rescued, fixed up and gotten into the hands of kids that can't afford them. How I thought of the program, I had I had been had done all that, quit, started a computer business. All this stuff uh, was I was invited by uh, John Williams to come manage Arnold Williams. He was going to pay me well, and uh, and I'd already been there and done all that, mm-hmm. and I had to answer him by twelve noon, <laughs> and it was a couple <laughs> days before Thanksgiving, and. Uh, Part of me was like, well, I could really use the money. I haven't had a job for three to six months or whatever. And yeah. it's a great offer and it's, you know, it's a you know, great store and all that. But I'd really done all that. And uh, I, what I, re- I really wanted to do something good for people. You know, not that that isn't good because you're being of service. You know, as long sure. as you're being of service, then you're doing good. But Thanksgiving must, I thought, ah, I just want to go stand in a soup line. You know, or t- not stand in a soup line, but, you know, go volunteer yeah, for a yeah, soup line or yeah. something. At quarter to 12, I had to answer him at 12 o'clock about this, this job, this high-paying job. At quarter to 12, I came up with the whole concept in 15 minutes for Horns for the Holidays. Collect all these. I knew these instruments are out there. Collect them. Get them fixed somehow. I knew. So through my connections to the music, industry, I knew, oh, I'm going to ask uh, uh, Cardi's, to Jim Manley, to, if he'll fix the horns. Uh, I know a teacher that can help me get him out into the hands of kids at the schools because he's a, you know, he's, he was teaching at Roberto Clemente, and so he, he could identify kids that couldn't afford. Mm-hmm. So the whole program unfolded in 15 minutes. That's fantastic. And, and like three minutes to 12. <laughs> it's like, and... Uh, unlike a lot of these uh, things that we think, oh, let's do this and come up with these ideas, that one I immediately did and and uh, made up a poster and uh, actually got help. Uh, Annie and Rod Caps, I think, helped design oh, the fantastic. very first poster. My friend uh, Rick uh, actually came up with the name, Horns for the Holidays, uh, even though we realized later we take, you know, guitars and all that, so it's always sure. been a funny name that that because it's an all-year-round program, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it stuck. And we would, I would do a drive, you know, every Christmas, and uh, so it was, it was almost like a vision, you know, in 15 minutes, like boom, let's do this program. So I was doing it for a few years, and then I was being interviewed by uh, uh, the guy that used to write the community section for the Ann Arbor News. I don't remember his name, Don. <sighs> I can't remember. Don something, and he was asking me this, the the same question, you know, you you asked me. And he said, how did you get, you know, how did you get started in, in music and this and that? And, it, and I says, well, I was in fifth grade and, uh, you know, I played the trumpet and I thought about my very first trumpet, which was a god-awful, ugly, nasty, nasty thing. But someone had donated it to the school. And it hit me right there. I actually started weeping, right, because mm. I realized, oh, my God, here I am doing this program and I I thought it was recycling and doing good, you know, and it is, but I didn't realize how it could, how it connected way back. 
Yes. To my first experience, you know, because as a kid, you know, I wasn't, I didn't understand what grateful meant or paying it back. You know, I, I was just like a dumb kid. Okay, here's a horn. thing. I was actually, it was a terrible horn. I was kind of, you know, terribly so. I was embarrassed of it because, you know, all the kids had shiny horns and here's mm-hmm. this nasty thing that's got masking, right. I mean, masking tape over the spit valve, right? Had to pull the masking <laughs> tape off to, right? Yeah, so, so, the finest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so uh, the valves, the third valve didn't work at all. And it was like, I had to work so hard to play that trumpet that when I finally saved up my paper out money and bought a used coronet, uh, I went right to first chair because I had worked so hard to, to play that nasty old thing, right? So anyways, Fantastic. I realized that, that the roots of that program went way back, right, to there, too. So the, the program is set up to collect instruments, right? And uh, over the years, I've been affiliated. It's, it's never been, it's, never, it's not an official nonprofit. It's just a good people. In the, it's just a totally grassroots thing. And, uh, and it shows you I've, it shows you what uh what people can do and it doesn't have to be a nonprofit. you know it can just hmm. be people yeah. right just people yeah people helping people wanting to do good people that said hey i got this clarinet you can have it and i go to a repair guy and he says hey i'll repair that right or i'll do that for a discount or whatever and uh and then uh someone helping identify a kid that can't afford it and so the whole program was set up initially from from the start and to this day that that child gets to own that instrument wonderful so they own it right right so uh i've had groups that wanted to you know have that as part of their program but but institutions have ways of raising money individual kids or families don't so i always knew the the importance that the kid owns that so uh so right from the start that's how i set up the foundation of the program we collect these instruments and the kids would own them and then of course we want them to be supported by some school band you know so that's where the the band thing maybe you know can't have it, hand a kid a clarinet that doesn't have a school band or somebody to show them how to put it together. And there has the to read be structure. Yeah, yeah, there has to be some kind of something behind it that helps support that musical pursuit. And so over the years, you know, I worked with different groups. Uh, uh, Performance Network at first let me have that as a drop-off place, right? And then different places. At one year, I got I, I used to be part of the Arts Alliance uh, early on in uh, Ann Arbor, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> the woman that ran at the time, Tamara, she, she said, "Hey, bring the program on here." So we had five collection sites and collected like 150 instruments, and then I didn't. You know. So it's it's gone through a lot of different phases. It really uh, at one time it became a full time job for about three months, four months because I was you know had to deal with all all of that. But uh, so I don't really advertise it anymore. There's enough people that know that I do it. Sure. That and 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 since I teach at Oz's, I just say drop it off at Oz's, and they'll you know give it to them. I stick it down in the you know basement. Uh, and and I've got a really great friend repair guy that really helps me get things repaired. So through the years, we've always figured out a way. Right. To to one year I had so. I had like 20 instruments that were no good. They were they weren't going to be repaired. And the repair guy out in Okemos, uh, uh, he says, 
well, here's these 20 that need repair. Here's this. I'll take these. And, you know, he, he would use all those parts. So he did the repairs for free. So it's always been an exchange yeah. uh, with, with uh, I, I have to say, I think total in since 1996, we've collected, fixed up, and redistributed over 800 instruments. Wow. <laughs> now, some people always said, hey, Ken, you could take this to a bigger level, you know, and this and that. And, and so one of the core things for me was, well, I can only do what I can do, and I'm I'm actually not a very good administrator. <laughs> and you turn it into a nonprofit, and then you got to have accountants, and you got to do this, and then it you then somebody wants to get paid to do that, rightfully so. And this so this has been something that we've been able to do with just grassroots yeah. exchange and uh, and love love from everybody in the community, yeah. from the people that. Uh, helped make posters to the people that that uh, donated something. Oh, oh, I can help. I can fix those two violins for you. Or uh, oh, I've got a uh, Oz's music has been very generous over the years. They oh, let's put some strings on there, right? And then and they also they people. Col- they, yeah. they they let people drop them off there and stuff like that. So they've supported. So there's so many businesses. Uh, Aubrey out in uh, Chelsea, the Chelsea Brewhouse. I mean, it it goes on. At some point, I'll have to make a you know long list but 1996 so that's i don't know how many years that is but that's uh 26 so what i always what i always realized a few years into the program i says you know what uh for me that one horn that somebody donated was the was the beginning (laughs) of my whole life of music everything that i've done is I mean, everything adds up, but if that that was the seed, right? That was one of the seeds, the availability of that instrument. And if it changed my life that much, if I get one instrument into the hand of a kid, that's a valid program. I'm not worried about, you know, a national effort or, you know, growing it beyond what it is. Uh, the Detroit Symphony, however, has started a program last year. They have all the administrative chops and sure they do. big funding to right. do this. They thing. have they have the budget to do yes. something like and, that. And the connection. So they they're doing it in a huge way. They made a commitment last year to any kid in the city of Detroit, if I understand this correctly, that wants an instrument, they will get them one. That's wonderful. That's huge. So they're partnered with a whole bunch of people. I'll be taking twenty instruments over there that are all set to go. Uh, uh, but he said last year they collected 2,000 instruments. Then they ran into the same thing I ran into. Oops, how are we going to repair all these, right? So then they've been working with like three repair people. They want to start their own. They want to start an apprenticeship program. Oh, now that's beautiful. Right, for kids to learn how to how to uh, repair instruments and stuff Fantastic. like that. So it's a beautiful thing that they're doing. I'm so happy to, to contribute what we can from, I think it's from wonderful. Washtenaw County, right? The thing that I love about this, too, is the kid ends up with an instrument that is not, it's not being loaned to them. There's a sense of pride. There is a There's sense, a of, sense pride. of pride. There's a different, it's a whole different dynamic. Right? Yeah. Especially as a kid, yeah. you know, as a kid, you know, uh, 
I mean, as much as we love our instruments, just try to remember back as a kid what it was like to, Absolutely. to own an instrument. And and I think <laughs> I think one of the things that it does, I think it helps to cement identity. Yeah, yeah. It gives someone, you know, and maybe it's that thing, maybe that kid isn't necessarily good at something else that, you know, maybe they thought they were going to do or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they find that outlet in music, yeah, and they yeah. find that ability to express themselves in a in a in a creative way. And they've got this thing that they know when they need to practice. It's on the shelf. They yeah. just have to go get it. They yeah, don't have to worry theirs. about it being in a in a locker in a in a storage facility in a school exactly and then where they the, only have the it the only thing that we ask is that if they ever stop playing or if they get a new instrument that they return it to the program but i know that the teachers back in the day when there was teachers helping me they said that the kids you know there were kids that would bring them back and and, and hopefully they got redistributed yeah. you know back into you know into the hands of kids so uh so my whole thing is is receive it <laughs> and pass it out into the world. And uh, <laughs> I know that there's effect, <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's all that matters. I don't need to. I don't need to know any more than that. That's I don't, so I don't cool need, because you don't need anything beyond that. Right. It's just like you know, because that's what that's everything in my life has come to me that way that wraps up episode three it's time to pull the faders down once more and say goodbye from the subterranean playground until next time peace tales from the subterranean playground is brought to you and produced by immersify recording services llc